From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me on the other end of the line, Ramsey Russell, Ira McCauley. Guys, how are y'all? Good Thanksgiving. Great Thanksgiving. Favorite time of the year. Mine too. Mine too. I understand, you know, from our perspective, Ramsey and I both, you know, Thanksgiving kind of signified the opening of deer season for us here in Mississippi. But I guess it kind of, you know, everything in Missouri has been open there for a while. Yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving deer season is usually over. Uh, We typically open like the 10th to the 15th. And we have a short 11-day rifle season. Um, but regarding Thanksgiving, the reason I love it so much is that the grandparents come, both sets of grandparents, my brother and his family, my family, and then a lot of our friends are up there. And Duck Camp's just a great, great place to be. And uh, I love having, I love the fact that everyone in our family embraces. Uh, Thanksgiving and the holiday and comes to duck camp to do it. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that. Right, same here. You know, for us, uh, the, the season, the duck season opens Friday after Thanksgiving. And for, I'd say, the last 10 years, we've been going to my little camp. And uh, now there's three or four or five other families that we all just kind of pitch in. All the wives get together and we'll do a big, huge potluck. And I usually get there about Tuesday or Wednesday, this year Tuesday, for us to come in when he gets out of school, and, uh, you know, we kind of make do with what we do. And then Mama shows up on Wednesday with, I mean, fills up the refrigerator, fills up the cabinet, brings the casserole, brings everything. And, man, it's, it, gets my, it gets downright festive around there. I, I look forward. Now, to me, now, I'll be honest with you, it's not as fun as it used to be when uh, all three of my kids were little and came with them. You know, now they're they're adults and kind of got their own thing going on. Heck, one of them's in Okinawa. But other than that, it, it's still uh, probably my favorite weekend or second favorite weekend of the entire year. Absolutely. We had a hell of a deal this year. Uh, Corey and I, Corey, you know, he was playing high school basketball. So he only, let's see, he got out of practice at 5 o'clock on Wednesday. They showed up Wednesday night. We hunted for a little bit. Thursday morning, then I said, Thursday afternoon, I said, let's go. So we we had a real fun hunt, and we came back, and all the lights were off. I was like, man, what is going on? And uh, our doggone power was off, man. The turkey was half-cooked. Um, 
None of the sides <laughs> had been cooked. And so we loaded everything up and got it all in the cars. And Aaron went over to the lodge and started recooking the turkey there. And just we were getting ready to pull out of the driveway. It came back on. And I think we ate Thanksgiving dinner around <laughs> 930 at night. <laughs> oh, well, that'll oh, be a story man. y'all talk about forever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, dude, I tell you what, these high school bastards, these high school sports are serious, man. Those kids get off two days in this winter sports yeah. deal. Thanksgiving Day wow. and Christmas Day. And uh, two of the kids on his basketball team, they missed Friday practice. And would you believe they made them sit out the first game? Man. That's terrible. That, that, that ain't right. That is I'm like, right. man. You know, what's more important? These kids don't just play during the high school season. They play year-round. And so it's like, what's more important, going duck hunting or spending family time with your family for one extra day or doing one more doggone practice when you practice 200 days out of the year? You need to get that coach in a duck blind and turn him into a duck hunter. He'd do something, (laughs) man. Yeah, that that would change Rook. I, I I can't relate quite to that, but I can remember when Forrest was playing select baseball and Duncan was busy. You know, they were the only kids on their sport on their team that dove hunted. And man, you know, Labor Day weekend, they the the, the coach would schedule practice on Labor Day. Now every year I had to call and say, uh, my kids won't be there. We 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 hunt. We this is this is a big deal for us. We go dove hunting. That's a tradition. And it's the same thing, you know. It's it's ridiculous. Who schedules freaking practice on a holiday it's, that there's a hunting season open? That makes no sense. Like vet school all over Mental Health Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they called Duncan. Later, just said they called Duncan Teal. That was his name because every time he he skipped, it wasn't Dove. It was Blue Wing Teal for him, and the coaches all called him Teal because there because he was go. always missing practice to go teal hunting. <laughs> you, you, you know that's it's, it's nuts what what sports have turned into like you said our 200 250 days out of the year you're you're focusing on one sport and you know i've been lucky enough to to befriend people that have made sports their livelihood but that, that's what they do for a living and you know, a lot of those guys that that make it and make it big, <laughs> they they played baseball for three or four months, like we did. Basketball during the winter, probably played football a little bit. It wasn't hyper focused on that one sport that they would eventually right. become great at. They were good good at a lot of things. I think the really really talented guys are. But the the talented guys, you know, that are good, but not like super super extreme athletes. You know, I mean, they gotta put a little more time focusing on, you know, what they want to focus on. But but I agree. There's you know, there's just that handful of people that are great at everything. They they. I wonder they, how many of these kids. I wonder how many of these kids that play those that much in the course of a year. They burn out by the time they're in high school or college. I guarantee you, I'll burn out when yeah. I got to college. Yeah. You told me, hey, go go swim. I wanted to throw up. 
I was like a dog that had been shocked so much that you tell him to retrieve, and that some bitches turn around looking for any anything besides <laughs> grabbing that damn duck. <laughs> All he sees is that lightning bolt coming between his ears. Yeah. I gave up. I will admit it. I gave up in college. I was on a junior college basketball team, sophomore year. You know, always practiced as a starter, but never really – they would put us in the game at the end to bring us back. Me and two other – two or three other – God, I don't want to make this racist, but me and two other – two couple of guys that were roommates That's of mine. not racist at all. <laughs> we put us in, we'd come back. <laughs> me and a couple of guys – <laughs> well, they were roommates. They were light skinned. But anyway, um I finally man, I don't know if you remember the winter of nineteen December ninety five, January of ninety six. It was literally one of the best duck seasons in the books. This sure book was. has been I do remember. It's it's been written that was one of the best duck seasons ever. Ever. I meant like like you're talking about, Ira. I missed a couple of days of practice. We were supposed to be back like the day after New Year's. Didn't show back up till about the fifth. Just be there January second. I showed up about the fifth or sixth. We were just smushing ducks. And I'll never forget the the conversation in his office was, Rocky, do you love basketball or do you love duck hunting? I said, Coach. I said, I have dedicated my life to basketball all seasons of the year, literally practicing a couple hours every single day. When you get off a tractor on the farm, you you know, you know, you soak in the bathtub, and then you go practice basketball and take a shower after that. You know, every day practicing basketball. And I said, I, I like basketball. I really do. But I love duck hunting. <laughs> I walked out. I was done. Mm-hmm. Had enough. Mm-hmm. And did he have any comprehension of that, or was he like, well, there yeah. goes another one? No, I saw him about – I actually – so that was in 96, so I saw him a couple of years later. I started my business in 98 and ran into him at a uh, local gas station restaurant one time you know, one of the dairy bars or whatever, and he asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, I started a duck, duck hunting business. He said, yep, fits you perfect. Congratulations. I knew you would always do well. Yeah. So. It's a strange world, man. You never know where it will lead you. Speaking of leading. Let's let's get back into this. Last week we we spent a lot of time talking about Habitat Flats. You guys getting it open, uh, getting the gears really turning, and um, it doing well. And about the same time as Habitat Flats is kind of going, you got another mouse on the wheel, a thousand pound mouse, um, which was Mo Marsh. You know, trying to and a vet business. Good lord, trying to balance all three of those. It, 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 to me, it's, it's 
still unbelievable. So kind of as you're getting Habitat Flats going, what's happening with with Mo Marsh? Well, I mean, you know, Mo Marsh was still just a niche boat, layout boat-focused business until about 2012. So, um, you know, I mean, the layout boat business back then was bigger than it is now. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, it was sizable, but it wasn't, it wasn't huge. I mean, it's still very niche, right? I mean, it wasn't like, you know, a thousand people in every state were wanting to buy a layout boat. And so, uh, you know, they're just, uh, they're a cumbersome product. They're expensive. They're fragile. They're hard to get around from a shipping standpoint. They're expensive to ship. They're hard to store. Um, you better be a hardcore duck hunter. It's definitely not something you're going to put in your arsenal. And so I saw, you know, I was looking at things with both eyes open and I was guiding all the time. And I'm thinking, man, you know, we've got all the, we've got layout blinds, um, which there weren't really any A-frame blinds at that point. Or, I mean, there were guys who were still hunting out of cattle panels and whatever, but there was no commercial. A-frame blind besides a hay bale blind, right? Back then, would have been like 2010, right in there. And uh, I was like, you know, we need we need some products that'll do what a, what a layout boat will do, or at least hide like a layout boat will hide, but that the average guy can afford, and the average guy can store, and they're not cost prohibitive to ship, and they're not fragile. But they'll still allow you to do our three core values, which are be mobile, be concealed, and be comfortable, right? That's what Momarsh was all about, mm -hmm. those three things right there. Whether it's a dog or a person, that was what that was what we're after right there. And if you could have something that was dual purpose, but not dual purpose just to say it was dual purpose, but really, you know, be viable in the field setting or in an aquatic setting, and that was even better, right? So like Invisalab, you fold the legs up, you can use it in the field, fold the legs down, you use it in zero to 34 inches of water. Same thing with Invisman, you know, same thing with the, well, not the Invisichair, it doesn't fold now, but anyway, you know, if you could, if you could have it be more, the more versatile it could be, pretty simple, the, the more, the higher the value was. So that's, you know, 2012 is when we started to shift that focus and expand our product line. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I had a clear vision for what I wanted. And it wasn't a corporate deal. I didn't have anybody to answer to. Uh, I just did what I wanted and did what I felt was the right thing to do. And, um, Man, there were just no barriers, you know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of times when businesses start to get too big, you know, you got a bunch of different people that are interjecting here and there, putting up barriers and all that. But, man, we were just so efficient because it was just three of us or four of us. And, I mean, I had the ultimate say, not saying that I'm better than anybody else or no more than anybody else, but, I mean, just being – just be so nimble and, and get, you know, be so efficient because you don't have different people with different viewpoints trying to 
overanalyzing everything. You know what I mean? Yep. And yep. so I just i i had a i had a plan on paper, and I had uh, you know a wish list of let's say fifteen or twenty products, and we just started chipping away chipping away at them. And uh, man, I had some some great business uh, relationships that that made things pretty easy for all that I had going on. The guys were close. They were hunters. They knew the deal. They were smart. They knew how to communicate with Chinese well. And we had a good factory, and uh, man, we just made some killer, killer stuff. Uh, you know, over a, a short period of time, really, and uh, so the growth was was pretty amazing. And and you know what I really probably miss the most about the old Momars was just the whole community spirit that was there, you know, and. And like, uh, man, it was just a tight knit community that, uh, that I really valued. And so like, you know, when we thought something, we had a core group of people and we'd bounce it off that inner circle and, uh, man, we'd make a decision. We'd just roll with it and implement it. And the hand knew what the foot was doing and the foot knew what the brain was doing and the big toe knew what the pinky was doing and shoot, you know, we just, freaking rocked and rolled it was it was good well, that's a good description that, that's a good way of doing business you know you know one thing i've noticed iris throughout the whole innovator series every time you've set out to do something habitat flats vet business uh momarsh everything you set out to do you you wrote and developed a business plan first you have to. I mean, right now, yeah. like right now, we're we're working on a new business. And I talked to a guy today. He's a builder, and we're working on. It's a rustic building supply company. So, you know, we built all these lodges and our clinic and all all the. You've been there, Ramsey. I mean, all the stuff has a, a similar look and feel, and it's barnwood and metal and teak and mm. tin and and just you know all this rustic old stuff and so we're building a, a business that that makes all that stuff but it's all dimensionally correct and it's not dirty and it's not split and you don't have to waste all this time and all that stuff but that that's not the point of what i'm getting at the point of what i'm getting at is i've talked to a guy today it's a builder and he's bought he bought quite a bit of stuff from us last year and he's like hey man what's going on with the wood business and i said man not much and he said why not and i said well we're just we're getting all our ducks in a row. We just built a, a big building, and the building's got a kiln in it. It's got a warehouse in it. It's got shipping department in it, and we brought in a radio saw. We brought in a band saw. We got everything on the same piece of property, and we just took four or five months where we weren't building any product to sell. We were just getting everything squared away to where going into the spring we're going to pull the trigger and all our ducks are in a row to really make everything go. You know what I mean? And I'm not mm -hmm. saying that, you know, you gotta, you gotta walk before you run. And so we did some walking. We, we took some shots, with both eyes closed and enough to figure out that it was going to work. Right. We killed a few ducks, with both eyes closed, but once you know, it's going to work and it's like, okay, now let's step back. Let's get all our stuff together. Let's make a good plan. Let's get our infrastructure together. 
let's figure out what we're going to do website-wise, store-wise, you know, who our customer's going to be, all that stuff. And so we'll be set to rock and roll this year, even though we, we haven't sold anything the last four months, you know, we've just been getting all our stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a plan, don't you? Got to have a roadmap. Yeah, you saw some of that stuff. I mean, it's cool stuff, but uh, you know, oh, yeah. it's nothing that's ground shattering. But uh, you know, you just got to have a vision and then plan and go well, from there. Some, I've seen some of the uh, I've seen some of the old barn wood and the old you know, the stuff that people pulled off of barns and got the nails out and cleaned up and did everything and some of that stuff is just sky high expensive it's probably uh it's probably easier just to manufacture that than to go through that and go through that whole process you know you just in terms of labor and cost you can share it with the consumer and that look and feel is hot i mean it, 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 that. i went to the damn emergency room twice over that shit yeah, stepping on nails and stuff, but but there you go, man. It's, it's a it's a but it's a it's a good business idea. And I love I love that look. I love that rustic look. Uh, y'all's camp house has got it. I've seen the pictures of Watts. I mean, it's a it's a very nice look and feel. And um, but but it just I just you know so much so much of my own personal business. Unfortunately, is it, like I heard uh, Charles Barkley one time. Somebody asked him what his strategy was, or. He says, strategy? I ain't got no strategy. Get the damn ball. That's my strategy. And that's kind of like, you know, that, that's that's a lot of my business planning to just go get the damn ball, you know. But I like the idea. And uh, uh, my son, Forrest, for example, fixing to start a business and get out of school within a year. And, you know, start with a plan. Get the real numbers together and start with a plan. And then put that plan into action. That's really uh, some of my most modest endeavors have been, you know, planned. And that's my whole point. Is, I mean, so much. So I, I would, I would. How much of your personal success would you say has been putting together a proper plan, Ira? I mean, Ramsey, look at look at what you got going on. So, get ducks. What is it? Well, it's a booking agency. Okay, well, they're a dime a dozen, right? But really, yeah. what it is is it's a brand. I mean, you have taken the time and put in the consistency and done the messaging and all that stuff to create a brand that has a following, right? And right. so, I mean, look at guidance services. For God's sakes, they're a dime a dozen, right? I mean... Oh, yeah, every street corner. Today I was looking at something, and it's the same group of guys, and I think in five years they've had five different names, and they've been here, and they've been there, and all that stuff. And, uh, man, I mean, they may kill the hell out of ducks, but... That doesn't matter, right? You got to build the brand. So you look at Macaulay Animal Clinic. Okay, it's a brand. You look at Momarsh. It's a brand. You look at Habitat Flats. It's it's a brand. And so, like from from our standpoint, we'll say let's just pick a dog dummy. Okay. Well, heck, everybody's got a dog dummy, right? So why would someone buy a Momarsh? dog bumper over a Avery dog bumper or a, a gun dog supply dog bumper or a tangle free dog bumper, whatever. Well, I mean, you've got a brand loyalty, right? So some guys might say, Hey, I have an invisible app. I want to buy one. Or some guys might say, I have a rough stand. I want to buy one. So it's not just the brand. Like for Momars, we always, I always want to be 
I want to find out, okay, how can we set ourselves apart? How can we do something that's better? How can we do something that's different? But without the brand support behind you, if you came out with some crazy-ass dog bumper that was something different, which we're working on, and a kid could use it and have fun with it. And, I mean, let's just say there's four different things that are different and cool and whatever. If you're, you know, whatever, some someone that no one knows nothing about and it's your only item, man, you're probably not going to, you're probably not going to get any traction, right? Right. And building a brand's hard, man. It is not easy. Wow. I mean, it takes a lot of things to fall into place. So, I mean, you got to work, you got to risk, and you've got to have some luck, too. But, you know, I'll making just a brand say, I, successful. I think you got to have a little luck. My, in my instance, I think I got, you know, work. I worked hard and I did it, but it was really just trying to get the damn ball. But but it just yeah. accidentally got bigger than than what we intended it for it to be. But but uh but I just I I think that I think it's so important for people whether you're going to go into the duck guide business or the veterinarian business or or any business any lawn business it doesn't matter is you know take the time to put together a plan and plans change. That's right. They got to but but you got to have a plan. You got to have a road yeah. map. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. But you got to have that map to get started. I think. I think that's really. Uh, and I just noticed. I hate to change the subject on you there, Ira, but I just noticed that uh, since we started recording uh, all these episodes, that time and time again, Ira McCauley had a plan, a business plan, and they looked at it, referred to it, and they made a few shots in the dark, and, they, and then they had real numbers to come back with and, and adjust their plan, and then they put that plan forward in action. And I really think that's a that's a big distinction in say Habitat Flats or Mo Marsh versus some other company that just didn't achieve what those two brands did with the fact that it started with a with a cogent plan. Well, one thing's for sure. I mean, if you're just staying stagnant, you're going backwards. So you've always oh, yeah. got to be reinventing yourself, coming up with new product. Um, all that stuff. If you ain't I mean, growing, you're, you're dying. Just, I think that's every business. Yeah, if you ain't growing, yeah. you're dying. Yeah, man, especially in the product business. I mean, shoot, you know, you've got to be coming out with new stuff because you've got to be fresh and exciting and make people want to stay engaged with what's going on, especially in today's world, for goodness sake. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I mean, there's a reason that you're going all over the world looking for new venues all the time, right? It's not that Argentina's running out of ducks or that Mexico is completely overrun by cartels and you're going to get your throat slit if you go down there. I mean, it's because people are always looking for something new, right? People are always interested, yeah. even if they don't go. Let's say I, I don't go to... He was just making a point, ladies and gentlemen. That don't really happen down in <laughs> Mexico. It's a great destination. <laughs> but, but you're right. You're exactly right, Ira. That uh, you know, people people that have been to Argentina and have been to Mexico a million times, they want to try something different, man. You know, there there there's different adventures and and experiences, and that's and really and truly, I do look at our uh, destination lineup like a product category. You know, it's it's just it's just a product lineup of different destinations, different experiences, different species. You know that uh, because you know. 
Uh, I mean, take duck call industry, for example. You know, how many duck calls does a man need? All yeah. of them. I, I mean, you, you, when, when do you ever quit buying duck calls? You know, you, yeah. you've got you got your two or three favorite, but you got you got drawers and drawers full of them, and and uh, people like them, and and, and uh, you know because they do. But I, I've, I feel like a lot of my clients really collect. They say they're collecting species. They say they're doing this or doing that. Man, they're just collecting passport stamps like experiences, and, and they always and they're always yeah. Like for a guy like me, I, I have no. I mean, today, I, I don't have much interest in going to the Netherlands and shooting geese. Not that I have anything against it. It's just not on my radar screen. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't tweak my interest and I don't want to read about it. Like, I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. I, I, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. Netherlands or Kajikistan or whatever it is where you go. But, I mean, I, I want to see that stuff. Even if I don't plan on going there, I want to look at it and and read your experience about it and whatever. And it just that just supports the brand, right? That is branding. Even if I'm not planning on going there, yeah, I still right. am interested in that, and it still is good for your brand. One thing, one thing I've respected about Mo Marsh product lineup. This coming from a duck hunter. This is one thing I've expected respected and liked about your product is they're not they're not gimmicky they're not i'm just bear with me they're not they're not saying substitute skill for our technology they're coming in and saying oh you hunt out there in that open water with a bunch of coffee weed that feels like you're hidden but you're not come use this invisible chair now you're you're invisible the 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 dog the dog stand man that 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 one item so to me revolutionized duck hunting where to put a dog with, with, with some of these panel blinds these new different blinds or, or the layout blinds now i've got something that that dog can get in he can, I can he can get in right next to me he can get in 50 yards behind me he can get in 50 yards to the right or left i can place him remote teach him to kennel and now he's invisible but he can still mark the bird it's very very uh practical you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, and, and not all products in any industry, let alone waterfowl, can say that a lot of it, let's face it, is gimmicky. You know, what do I need this for? But Momarsh is, uh, I mean, especially how a guy like me hunts, a lot of y'all's product is, is highly relevant. It, it it lets me hunt like I hunt, only better. And and that that's, you know, uh, to me, it, it makes y'all's company stand out relative to a lot of others it just i say that in there but it's the truth man i appreciate that i mean the you know the invisalab it's been wildly successful and popular but i mean really it was a it wasn't some crazy concept you know it was just it was just something that there was a a need for and uh had a slick design and and uh you know, I mean, it's it's kept a lot of dogs more comfortable and, and had a whole lot of hunters have better hunts because their dog's hitting better and they can stay in the field longer and all this stuff. You know, it's, it's been a good product. But, but uh, you know, one gimmicky, gimmicky product that I'm really proud of, Rocky, is the, uh, the dangler. The dangler. The dangler. 
I wouldn't call that gimmicky, see? I, I, I just don't see that as a gimmicky. I would not describe that as gimmicky. You I know what that, I call it? A, it's, a, it's a pretty damn cool product. I think so. I think it's the world's greatest marketing product there ever was. You know why? <clears throat> every hero Tell me why. picture. Every hero picture should have a duck dangler or a dub dangler in it. Are you following well, me, Rocky? I am. I'm, I'm actually looking at it because I know exactly what it is now. I didn't know it by that name. But, you know, I mean, like, let's say that you're a guide service and uh, you got 10 guys that shot four mallards piece, so you got 40 mallards. So, I mean, like what I did for Habitat Flats, you have little barrel sticker type things made and you put it on that duck dangler. It says, uh, world's best guide service on it. And you put that on the opposite side or over Momarsh or whatever you want to do. And then you got 40 of those ducks lined up butt to front. And, uh, man, that is a strong marketing statement. It sure stands out. I'll say that. Yeah. And it, 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 I like, I like the way that, uh, I like the way that, you know, three of us get in the duck blind and shoot mallards and we hang them by their feet. We, we, we hold them up for the picture. It, it, it makes a nice photo. Yeah. It makes a really here's, nice photo. They're not all bunched here's up why like I've the straps always I use. It. Here's why I've always liked it, Ira, since the first time I saw it. Because duck hunting is full of so many followers. And when the first few times I saw pictures of people with, with those danglers on Instagram, I'm like, wow, these are different. Yeah, I well, don't sit there and, I'm not going to sit here and tell you just because it's you on the phone. Now, man, I love those. Those were all, I'm, I'm just like, wow, they're different. That was my first right. thoughts. So you want to know but, where it came from? Yeah. So So here's where it came from. I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking, man, what a mess. You got you got 15 doves. You know, limits 15 doves. Well, how does any person take a cool picture besides a tailgate picture of 15 doves that they shot that's their limit? So I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know, you can't really hold 15 doves and have it look like anything. And you can't, you know, you can't put them on a lanyard and have it look like anything. And you put it on a tailgate, and it just looks like every other tailgate picture of doves. And I'm like, so I want something that will hold my doves by their feet to where I can count them quickly and know where I am. Because, man, you know, you throw them in your bucket, you're always one or two over. That's right. Too short, and you got this one that didn't make it in the bucket, and you got crap all over the place and there's ants all over them and you guys know the deal man i mean they're just it's oh, a mess I know the deal. and so i, I was like i want to i want a product that i can have all my duds organized and not on the ground and be able to count them in an instant and know that i did not miss one and not have ants all over them and have my dog jacking with them and all that stuff and so i'm sitting there thinking about it and i was like what if I took a piece of PVC and I cut a slot in it and then I just hung them there by their feet. And then if I did that, I could, I could just go along and count them and know how many I had and not have them on the ground and all that stuff. And so that's what I did. I took a piece of two inch PVC and I cut a slot in it 
And then I'd just slide them on there by their feet. And then that way, I knew I never missed one. They weren't on the ground getting chewed up by the dog and the and the ants, and I didn't miss one and have one in my bucket or whatever. And uh, that that's how I came about it was for doves. It had nothing to do with doves. It was to try and keep track of 15 doves and then be able to take a good picture that actually showed that you had, you know, your limited doves versus just some pile of damn feathers with, you know, missing heads and all that stuff. I, and, I like uh, it better for doves than I do for ducks. Uh, but let me ask you, I, I was going to ask you this. Uh, where did you come up with that idea? Did you did you, did you absolutely come up with it? Were you inspired by something? No, man. I mean, no, no, it was just a dove deal because, you know, half the time your doves, you know, let's say you got a crippled dove, what do you do? Well, heck, you end up ripping its head off, right? So I was like, how are you going to take a picture of 15 doves when five of them are missing their heads? And you just can't do it. And so that it was the dove hunting deals, how I came up with it. Want to be able to take a good picture with Corey with both of us or whoever was in our party with our doves and, and show them off and be proud of them and have it not look like some tailgate shot. Something I something I kind of just, uh, you know, throughout travels and stuff, I run across things I collect really aren't ducks. That's just eye candy for shows and stuff. I, I hate them dust collectors, but the things I find myself attracted to are homemade decoys. And I don't mean fancy hand-carved artistic decoys like what you carved what i've I'm, I'm talking you know i, I love the the simpler and cruder the better because it works oh you know take a take a non-artist that just back when went and carved him some uh, silhouettes or styrofoam decoys he painted black and, and hey, i got some of those too ramsey i just didn't show them yeah to you. well still I, and then the other thing i, I find myself collecting are straps Duck totes, you know, it'll be like you go to Argentina. You see, remember those old uh, leather strap that had like the metal you put the head in and it went down the little skinny metal part. Well, you know, I've got some that are two foot long because they they got they got to put fifty ducks on that thing. Or uh, just you come up with all these different aberrations of, of duck straps. And and I, I know I sent you this video years ago, um, but I mean after you'd come up with the duck dangler because. Uh, I was down in Argentina, and this guy, he's got ducks, he's got doves, he's way too remote, the drives are way too far, so we don't represent him, but he's a nice guy, and he's absolutely positively got the best Pardis hunting in the whole country. If that's your thing, this guy's got it, he's probably got 20 of the best bird dogs I've ever seen. We go out on the best Pardis hunt, partridge hunt I've ever been on in 20 years down there, and uh, his bird boy has got this piece of wood with this little slot, and he's putting those perdees and carrying them out like you do your dub dangler. And he's got a leather tote on it and all. And but I just got to ask him. I said, remembering the duck, I said, where did you come up with this idea? And and he said that uh, you know historically all those Europeans moved to Argentina and they didn't duck hunt or goose hunt or dove hunt. They hunted partridges. They, that's what they did back in the old country. So he grew up third-generation partridge hunter. And one of his grandfather's best friend from Italy, that's what the old man brought from the home country with these wooden duck totes. Now, the ones he uses are are made, uh, you know, he made himself. But I'm saying he showed me one of the originals. It was just like the one he's got. But it's it's... To me, it's a great idea because you can you can carry them. It keeps them nice and attractive. It makes a great photo. 
you can keep up with your count. And I'm with you, man. Uh, dove hunting makes me nervous, you know, to put them in a bucket because you might lose count. The man might come up and think you did something on purpose, and I don't want to be that guy. So I, I love to have my <laughs> my doves laid out where I can one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Know exactly where I'm sitting on on a shoot. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and I think you know, it's a great I've had idea. several times. Ramsey, how many times have you gone and you're done and you're cleaning your doves and everybody's drinking and having a good time and you miss one or two and you don't know they're there and then the next day you go and you're hunting and you're counting and you're throwing them in your bucket or whatever and you get done and hell, there's two rotten ones from the day before that were in there. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. like either they you got to quit early or you're over or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but honestly... That uh, the dove dangler, it works the way that plastic and PVC and China and product development and all that stuff work. The dove dangler is, is honestly the better duck product than the the duck dangler is. I mean, I hate to say that on one hand, but it's truth. I mean, if you're just going to have one, like you can have teal and anything on the dub dangler whereas the duck dangler is really for like mallards and bigger ducks yeah you know? well it sure worked good i tell you that i that was the first time i'd used one when i was up there with you and i i love mine you know of course i've got i've got your displayed in my my collection of duck totes and um I yeah that's, that's, a, that. that's a nice product you know you you brought up the uh i, I know the invisible chair See, I always thought that was hey, this. I actually thought about an Invisi-Chair with these huge feet on it, kind of like y'all did to keep it from sinking down in the mud. But for years and years, uh, you know, as the season wears on, you, you look for inventive ways to get to the ducks because they're not coming next to a pit blind or a, uh, a skid blind like we were using down here. So you had to invent ways to get out to them. The Invisalay, the Invisichair. Um, crazy. But the, uh, we would, I would go behind the old grocery store. Let me tell you this one real quick. And so if the, the duck started landing on the shallow side of the field, we would take a couple of pallets and throw them right, throw them right there in the, the edge of the water and put our blinds on top of that, our layout blinds. We didn't have any little the the layout boats or whatever to put them in, but the invisible chair. You know, one of the things that we did, we we took old church, church chairs, or what I used to call them. You know, because they were the most annoying things in the world to sit in. Those old metal chairs at every church. You'd stand on them to where the seat is about water level, and we would take cane and we would angle the cane like back around us and we would try to make the cane about as tall as our head and uh, put a little bit right there in front of us but anyway we killed a lot of ducks those two ways in Miss late mm -hmm. january in mississippi but i always I'll, even before i knew you or knew what mo marsh was i always that's like man that invisible chair that's one of the greatest things ever How long did you test this stuff, though, Ira, before? And, and how did that, real quick, we can go into this a little bit later, but what was the testing process like? 
Well, I mean, it's interesting in the product development side of things because uh, just because you, I say you, me, just because I think in my mind that product's going to be great or easy or whatever, um, there's a lot of things that have to come together. And uh, so, you know, I, I'd come up with my for a product, right? So it may be a drawing, and then it may be a physical prototype, and then it may be some modifications to that, and then you get a first sample from the Chinese, and we'd say, well, we like this, we don't like this, and thank you for doing this because it was an improvement, or why didn't you do this because uh, this deal that you did doesn't work at all. And so some of them would come together real easy, right? Like I'd sit there and go, man, it's going to be a tough project. Um, I think it's cool, but, uh, man, I just, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a difficult thing to pull off. And sometimes they just knock it out of the park. Like they send your first sample and they're like, man, that's awesome. And you got your sec second sample and you're good to go. And then you might have something that's really simple and they just can't get it. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's, that's kind of its whole animal to try and manage. But from a product testing standpoint, you know, we have Lux Grove, which is like Disneyland for product testing. And so, you know, <laughs> anything that I get, I just, I mean, I've got so many cool different places to put it through the paces that we get it. And we just try it here and there. And again, remember our three, you know, our three key words that we always focus on are mobility, comfort, and concealment. So, I mean, even though we have a great place to test stuff, that is still really what we're looking for, right? So we need something that you can get around, that's efficient, that'll hide you, and that'll allow you to be comfortable. And if we can hit on those things and and hide in different types of comfort of uh, of uh, cover you know, whether it's horizontal or vertical or whatever the case may be, um, then that's really what we're looking for, you know. You know, in, in conversations that I've had with Will in talking about getting products made in China, and he never said don't say anything about this. But anyway, until they placed somebody as a company, Primo's as a company in China, they always would get a prototype that was perfect, and then then when they started getting the run, it was it was different from the prototype or the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, well, your production uh, sample. You know, you'd get a production a sample, sample that was what everything was based on. And uh, but one thing that I figured out over time is that whatever your shortcomings are. I mean, those things are flushed out the day that stuff lands. So, like, you know, let's say you have 2,000 Invisalabs that land on October 1st, and this is all theoretical, but, man, by October 10th, you know what your problem is with whatever whatever problem there is. You know what it is because right off the bat, man, whatever weak point there is, it is immediately reported. And let's say that it's only in, like, five percent or whatever it is um 
at least in my experience, the weak point has been immediately visible and you're like, oh my God, we are going to have a disaster. And then it kind of like runs through a quick little deal and then it's over because, you know, if there is some sort of a production deal, let's say that the guy on crimp number two was asleep at the wheel or whatever you want to call it. Well, those things are immediately evident. And then once you get through those, it's, it's over, which I would have never predicted. You know, you'd think if you have a problem that it would be a problem that you'd continue to be plagued by, but it's never the way that it was. It was always like, Oh man, we got this problem. And you're like, Oh boy, freaking out. And then it's over. China is an interesting, interesting place. And you, in, there's there's more and more doors being opened every day for people that want to develop products. You know, there's you know the richest guy in the world that, that started Alibaba, and you know, if you want to have an idea or something, you want it made. Gosh, or you you want something to sell, you can go find it there. And I'm, this isn't an advertisement for Alibaba, but you know it, it used to be a big big deal to have something produced overseas and now simple click of the button i mean times have changed Mm -hmm. so much oh yeah Yeah, but i mean having a relationship with a good solid factory that you can trust and you know and all that stuff over there is like it's priceless because i've been trying to do some work with alibaba on some of this new stuff and just simple things like trying to source a pulley wheel or or whatever you know through alibaba it may seem like it'd be an easy thing to do man i mean i have freaking struggled with that versus when you've got a relationship with a good factory and you've got a a a good seamless line of communication and you can get a lot done and be very efficient versus trying to communicate with you know 15 uh, factories that you don't know trying to source some simple pulley wheel and the communication barrier. And I, I don't know, I, I'm still trying to get through it all, but it's just not Alibaba is not a, a super efficient process as far as trying to communicate stuff with people overseas. I mean, I'm doing it right now and I've got some experience there and it, it's a mess. We 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 we've said that a million times. You know, it it all goes. To, there, there's no substitute for good personal relationships, working relationships. You know, to me, to me, uh, I, I don't borrow a lot of money, but there were times I had to, had to use a banker, and and you know, it was worth having a relationship with a banker and paying a little bit more points just to have that relationship with that banker rather than just going out there at the mercy of any banker. Same could be said for insurance or medicine or building product in China. I mean, it's, it's all about good relationships, I think. But, you know, uh, one thing about Momarsh, and, I mean, you guys can tell me your thoughts on it, but I didn't really, I didn't really need, uh, it wasn't my primary source of income. And so I just never wanted to be the me too guy you know what i mean so i never wanted to be the guy that said i've got to have a layout line i've got to have a panel line i've got to have a boat line i've got to have all these things that are just boxes to check to be 
apples to apples in the category. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And talk people, I mean, friends of mine in the industry would be like, well, you need this product, and you need that product, and you need that product. I'm like, why? I mean, so-and-so's got a great one. Why? Why would I need to have that when they've got one that's great, and I don't really have some wonderful, incredible value-added angle that that is consistent with what we're doing you know what i mean so like aquatic and or aquatic and field so we just kind of you know we stayed away from a lot of product that that we could have done but it was like man you know it would just be like throwing our hat in the ringer you you know what i'm saying no you, you'd be you'd be you'd be uh instead of innovating and, and coming up with uh niche products like you've got that nobody else has got you, you you spend so much of your time and resource just competing for that limited market share in panel blinds or whatever else you know no yeah. I, I mean that's that's a that's what i think i think you did exactly the right thing so i'm not saying that that's all wrong um but that was always kind of my philosophy was hey if we're going to do something we're going to come up with something that's unique and different and just kind of you know, go down our own path. I agree entirely. Well, guys, we're just about out of time. Um, Ira, Ramsey, you said you're about to be gone for two weeks. You have phone service. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll have phone service. Both sure, of you. Shout. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm here till I'm here till Saturday morning. Then I hit the road till about twenty third of December. I've got FaceTime audio, Ram, Ramsey and Rocky. Figure it out. Can we do it on FaceTime audio? We may have to try. I mean, I can drive I you, down I, and if get, you, if you, some, get some service. If you wore your headphones, why not? I don't know. Here's what I wonder. Could I call one of you guys and then have you guys hook me up on, like, a, a conference deal? And then uh, speak through your phone into the deal. You know what I'm saying? I don't kind of sounds like the that kind of sounds like the old deal where I can unlock your car if I've got the remote <laughs> and you I get you on the phone. Hey, real quick, one thing. Why don't we do like a a, a state of the season deal real quick to wrap up? Sure. Yeah. What do you guys got going on? The South Delta of Mississippi is woefully absent of ducks. And and I I believe we had a half million acres of water flooded between January and August. A lot of crops didn't get put in, a lot of a lot of uh moss soil, a lot of anything didn't have a chance to come back and, and it's 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 tough. We got water, but uh there's nothing under that water to speak of. And um, I've never seen such a dearth of ducks um, in parts of the Mississippi Delta in my entire life. I think I think a that lot. Of, I think a lot of the early migrants. I think a lot of the early migrants held back in parts of Arkansas. Just got good habitat with rice and whatnot. And and I think a, I think a lot of them overflew uh, parts of the deep south and got off into that coastal marsh. Uh, whether they're sitting in Venice, Louisiana, thereabouts, or they hung a right turn and, and, and went west out, out towards uh, the Katy, Texas Prairie. I think that's where a lot of the, a lot of the birds that we might otherwise have um, 
throughout a lot of the South Delta Mississippi are. That's what I think. I heard, I heard, I just heard some real, real, um, nothing great reports from clubs. I hear from on opening day from Vicksburg, Mississippi, clear up to uh, Clarksdale. I heard some really scary reports uh, for opening weekend. It, it wasn't good at all. Somebody may have had ducks, but not everybody. A lot of people did not. A lot of really good clubs that weren't even affected by that South Delta flood did not have ducks. Well, Rocky, sounds like sounds to me like Ramsey's getting ready to hit the roads. So what do you got going on? <laughs> That's right. I, yeah, I, I, I have yet. I did not hunt the opening three days in Mississippi. I was... I was at a pig show. Now I was not actually at a pig show with my kids. Hey, one of the things that you talked about, speaking of state of the season, you know, if there's anybody with a historical view of the Missouri River, one of the things before Ramsey got on the line was that you said was the water being so high there at at, at Grand Pass. Um, Historically, have you ever seen the Missouri, Missouri River stay up this long um, and this high? Man, I mean, like back in 99, it was high, but we didn't have a huge summer flood like we did this year. You know what I mean? This year, we the Missouri River bottom, and I'm talking about, man, from the Dakotas to St. Louis, you know, there's no food or very, very little and tons and tons of water. And if any of you guys know something different up north, uh, let us know. But, I mean, you know, it's, it just has leveled the playing field. So, like, all of our, at least in Missouri, all of our Missouri WMAs, our Missouri River WMAs, man, they have no ducks because it's a level playing field. Nobody has any food, and there's water everywhere. So the whole daggum Missouri River bottom corridor is a refuge as far as water and nobody hunting goes but uh but there's really not much at all in the way of food uh you know the places that did have a little moist soil they're probably dry now because the river's dropped a little bit man there's still just a ton of water in that river Mm -hmm. it's a dang different year that's for sure i mean but then the missouri river usually empties really quickly when the, yeah, the Mississippi hadn't been I mean the Mississippi since what July it's, I mean it's gone down I mean it's not like it's been extremely high it's not at flood stage but but it's not uh but I tell you this they they've shut our structures off a couple of times there on Collins Creek which means that that the uh it's high enough it's backing up into Yazoo yeah, man, it's, high, it's been high there. here. I mean, yeah, there's no food. Like, all our duck home. clubs here, nobody's got any food. I mean, when I say here, I mean in St. Charles County. So St. Louis side, you know, there's there's just no food at all. You know, it's it's just been high all summer and fall. And some of those guys flew in a little bit of millet. But um, now when you look at, like, the original Habitat Flats up at Sumner on the Grand, yeah, we had some crazy flooding. I mean, crazy, heck, you know, huge floods. But uh, that was mainly in June, first of July, and we've got a bunch of good habitat up there. We did have a, a late summer, early fall flood. Well, I guess it's October, so it was a fall flood. 
Um, but but still, we've got good food there, and we've got good duck numbers there for sure. And uh, man, we've had a great season up there. I mean, my my personal place, I say my personal place, mine, my brother's, um, Looks Grove. It's been good. Uh, we've had better years, but Habitat Flats has been really, really the, the best ever. We've had our best season ever so far there. Been really good. So, whatever that means, we don't well, have we don't as much as we normally you, do. You still whacking them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will try to hook you in some kind of way next week. Catch up with both of you. I'll. Speaking of goat roping, I'm going to be roping, trying to get y'all in here on the line at the same time. But hey, one of these our, episodes, we should talk about, um, at least for part of it, and maybe we have, I can't remember, but we should talk about corn. There are so many people that are so hypersensitive about corn, flooded corn, and, uh, you know, I see both sides of that thing because we have a lot of all kinds of stuff, and, uh, Flooded corn is not necessarily what everybody thinks it is. Mm-mm. No, it's not. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, guys, be careful. We will get together again next week. We'll we'll start off with that. That sounds good to me. Uh, because okay. we we covered it a little bit, Ira. The, the episode Ramsey was not here. We talked about a little bit about uh, how you guys at Habitat Flats get get blame for flooding corn, which a lot of the stuff that y'all do is moist soil, which you guys, you know, y'all catch a lot of heck from from people that have never been there, seen what you guys do. So we'll spend some time talking about that next week. We'll try to hook up some kind of way. Guys, thank you again. We want to thank all of you that listen to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DougSouth.com.